guys, welcome back to Keeping It Simple. This is Luis Sanchez. I'm here with my co-host. Hey, I'm Scott Callentine. Welcome to the episode. Let's get started. Hey, you guys, welcome back to Keeping It Simple. Today, we are continuing in our conversations of the nuts and bolts of church planting. And we have one of our uh, just favorite people and cheerleaders, Matthew Erickson, with us again. I think this is your third time around. And today, we're just keeping at it and having a conversation that revolves around fundraising, which is a reality in... um, our form and function of church, simple churches, micro churches, etc. So let's just uh, kind of just kick off the conversation. Tell us a little bit about your ministry, Hope Church, and um, how Hope Church does finances and how you guys are able to stay afloat. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. Stay afloat. Um, wow. So Hope Church Oak Harbor uh, started about six years ago. Uh, we moved our family from South Woodby to North would be, which doesn't seem like that far, but culturally in a lot of different ways, it's uh, they're very different from each other. We've got a Navy base on the north end of the island and South would be as much more of a commuter, kind of an area, more rural um, kind of a space. And as we moved up there, we realized that, uh, that we were gonna have to, you know, pay bills, pay the rent and uh, be able to, to eat. Uh, those are the kinds of things that my wife was very in tune to and certainly very, um, just concerned about, right? Uh, we had three kids, still have three kids, but, uh, but our youngest, I think at that time was in second grade. So we had, you know, we're a young family and, uh, needed to make sure that, uh, that we took care of, uh, the things that we needed to take care of in a, in a previous podcast, we talked about how God was uh, routing his funds in, in a variety of different ways. And we were really seeking his, his will in that, um, I worked at Starbucks. Um, I had taken a step away from kind of a corporate role into more of a uh, working in the stores and uh, giving myself the opportunity to be able to connect with people. Um, so one way that God was funding our ministry was through Starbucks. Uh, another way was uh, through my wife's work. She works at the Oak Harbor School District. She works with kids with special needs. And so um, we received an income there. And then there was Hope Church. Right. And we knew that Hope Church was certainly at that time not going to be a traditional model. We didn't know exactly what it was going to look like moving forward, but we kind of felt like since there was 43 other churches in Oak Harbor that we weren't called to plant another um, Sunday morning experience, kind of prevailing model, if you will, of a church. And, And certainly nothing wrong with that. That's what I was raised in, what I was saved in, and ultimately what I worked in before we moved. Um, but we knew that, that God was calling us to something different. So I worked with uh, my coach, and coaching is going to be a big part of our conversation today, but my coach was a guy named Micah Dodson, uh, who currently serves as my supervisor with the Alliance Northwest, and worked with Micah around doing fundraising and uh, funding our ministry by inviting people to partner with us. And so that was the start of how Hope Church received its funding. We, um, we, we engaged with uh, friends and family and, and did a lot of what it, probably is somewhat familiar to people who may be listening uh, we also uh, received some support from from our district. We, we received an, a revenue stream of support that way, as well as through a network of churches uh, that have been um, really behind our back for seven years now, which has been fantastic. But that's kind of in a nutshell um, how Hope Church pays its bills. Currently, we uh, are in a position where we've got about a year's worth of finances um, in the bank so that if nobody gives for the next 12 months, we'll still be able to pay that's our bills. A blessing. Um, and that really has been a blessing, but it's also been a a um, kind of an experiment in how do we do things simply? You know, we don't have to 
have the, well, we're not in a church building, so we don't have rent. We don't have a lot of those things that, that you would normally um, see. Uh, the majority of our expenses are food and, um, and salary. Yeah. So I think, um, Matthew, you're talking about the different streams of income. For us at the Simple Church Collective, and we haven't talked about this just yet, uh, but we have four primary streams of income, which I think you mentioned some of them, and, and there might even be a lot of overlap. You know, for us, we were blessed with um, the denomination um, giving us some resources, and then uh, a network of churches. Uh, at this point, it's 12 churches, one that you're a part of and uh, one that was already here on, on the mainland um, giving um, to help us stay afloat. And then the third thing is personal support that was fundraised that's going to come into and And you were actually really helpful and instrumental in that because you had just finished taking a course on coaching people through fundraising. I think I, maybe I was your first or second guinea pig on that. And um, it was, a, you know, we were able to meet our goal pretty quickly. And with your help, we, I mean, it was just amazing and encouraging. And then the fourth is just the giving from our team. So the fourth, four streams of income, the denominational support, network support, uh, fundraised personal support that's fundraised um, that, that we had to do and that Scott even has had to do. And then the fourth stream of income being giving from the disciple makers and our team members. So, so it sounds like you have some of those same, same streams as well. Yep, absolutely. And I, the coaching that, um, that I went through, there was a couple of different um, programs that I've worked with. Uh, I had mentioned in a previous podcast that I work with Young Life now. So I worked with Starburst for 21 years, but I also uh, transitioned into Young Life about four years ago. And there was an opportunity to be able to coach young, right out of college, um, folks who are coming on board as staff associates and, and different roles and to help them with fundraising. And I volunteered for that. Like, I want to do this. I want to learn kind of what that looks like, because part of our story is how we did fundraising with Hope Church in the beginning, and then how, by going through an organization that's been doing this for 60 years, how to learn how to do fundraising in a way that, uh, wow, a way that works, um, but, uh, but teach us some of the basics that I think that are really needed. And um, so that was number one, was the Young Life set. The other thing, Gary Reinecke, who um, does work with the Alliance Northwest, he has his own organization called In Focus. Uh, has was a huge resource. And I went through the coaching training with Micah Dotson and some other guys with the Alliance um, probably about three or four years ago as well. So it kind of have merged and married the two together to really, I think, be a blessing, hopefully, to both organizations and being able to take some of the things I learned from Gary and apply that to what I do with Young Life, but also then take some of the, the tools and practical tips that Young Life had taught me around fundraising and apply them uh, to, the, to the organization with the Alliance Northwest huge blessing. It's been a lot of fun to be able to have conversations with folks that I think have maybe turned their perspectives and perceptions on their ear when it comes to fundraising and in what for some may seem like a bit of an impossible journey and see that it's really possible because through God, anything is possible. And that's awesome. I think you were, you're kind of alluding to something we're about to jump into. And before we get into a very practical overview of, of fundraising, and Matthew's going to share with us here in a few minutes, fundraising is a fairly natural part, uh, or at least maybe important part of church planting. But we live here in the United States, so there might be a an idea that you know, we don't we're good here. You know, we have the money, and, and in a grand scheme of things, we do have a lot of money here in the United States. And that's more of an international missionary kind of thing, supporting them. Could you maybe uh, just share with us 
why it's necessary even here at home in the United States, but then also give us a very like concrete, why do we think fundraising is, is a legitimate ministry activity and, and why is it so important? It's a great question. And when we lean into this, especially for the first time, uh, I think that there can be some some challenges, maybe maybe it's family perspectives. Um, everybody is raised in a different um, a different background, and so for some for some money has just never really been an issue, never been an object, never been anything that's it's just always been there. Uh, for others, uh, there's sometimes there's um, issues with scarcity. Um, maybe maybe how mom and dad perceived money uh, that informs how how uh, how I receive money as well. But part of what we have really tried to to understand, especially when it comes to working with those who are fundraising, is what's God's plan? And you don't have to look too far, even in the Bible, to be able to see that there are a lot of different ways that God has chosen to route his funding uh, to a variety of different people. I mean, you can certainly look at Paul and see how tent making and, and different ways, that's certainly a way to be able to do it. Jesus himself was was one who was provided for, and we see kind of a model in that, that there were women who were providing for him, that there was um, other folks who were helping. Shout out to the ladies. <laughs> Shout out to the ladies. Um, you know, but I think the, the story that really is, is I, I think, helpful to be able to see, because you can actually see it from start to beginning, is uh, the story of Nehemiah and the vision that he has about rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem. And how he goes to King Artaxerxes and, you know, Nehemiah is nothing in regards to who Artaxerxes is, but uh, has this vision from God, has this prompting, goes to the king. The king allows him, releases him with a letter of recommendation to go and to rebuild this wall. But what he did was he went and asked. And he went and asked somebody that I think most people would say, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you're going to get your head cut off. You better watch yourself there, man. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, so we see, and I know that it, it can be often very easy to be able to look at a Bible story and just apply it to what I want. Um, but I think there's some very clear principles in there that help us to be able to see that at the end of the day, if we follow God's direction, we follow what his will is for our personal lives as well as for our ministry, uh, he is going to care for that. He's going to bless that. He's going to honor that, um, honor that devotion. And uh, for each of us individually, that's going to look certainly, certainly different. Um, I would say, but um, for us and, and specifically as a coach, and I would say I, I'm a huge advocate of coaching. Um, I received coaching before I became a coach. Um, a lot of the coaching that I've done has been volunteer. I've now shifted into um, doing it where it's more vocational, but uh, boy, just huge advocate for coaching because I just strongly believe that you need to have people in your life who are asking you questions that cause you to go, hmm. Is there a different way to be able to look at that? Is there a different way to be able to lean in? Um, so funding and fundraising is, is certainly a part of that. And and for for us, as we were looking to start Hope Church, part of what became just very clear in the, in the, in the beginning was that we were going to need to connect with people within our circle um, to raise the funds that were needed to be able to start Hope Church. And in the beginning, that really just meant um, allowing our family to be able to have some needed funds that would help uh, pay the bills that we needed to pay and and uh, um, just ensure that we were able to to continue to move forward from a from a global perspective, seventy percent of this world um, is in a society that we would consider collectivist or um, uh, large group families, right? So you know Luis, you come from a family that's extremely well connected and and um, and is not insular, is not um, 
private, right? I think of uh, the individualistic or as private, as private, <laughs> the individualistic culture that that I was raised in. Um, it was not uncommon, you know, your your neighbor pulls in the garage, the garage door goes up, they pull their car in the garage door down. You never see your neighbors again. Um, I, I yearn for a time which we could see those walls be able to break down, um, but. I also know that when you do fundraising in both of those different cultures, there are expectations and there are challenges that go along with that as well. I look at this story that comes from the Bible um, in a multitude of different stories that come from the Bible and see that those are not individualistic societies. 2000 years ago, Jesus was raised in a culture that was a collectivist culture in, in which you had large families and um, you just you just had that expectation and there was fundraising that happened. Uh, may not have called it fundraising, but God was routing his funds to be able to ensure that the ministry continued. Uh, in our society here in the U.S., um, because, again, it can can really seem as more of a, uh, you know, my money is my money and it's private and, you know, those kinds of things uh, it can be, I think, sometimes uncomfortable to step out of out of your wall and to invite somebody to partner with you in raising funds for your ministry. Uh, I've had people who have said, well, why don't just get a real job? Or just go to the church and like and have them pay you. Um, what they're missing is the perspective that is that that God has called me to something that's greater than myself. He's choosing to route his funds in a way that I don't even necessarily fully understand. I need to honor what he's asking me to do. And so for for us here in, in the US or even just specifically in the Pacific Northwest, um, kind of moving past some of those barriers has been important because we do believe that there's plenty of funding out there. Um, and there's a lot of folks who just frankly don't know who to give to. And, uh, and there's people that God has gifted, um, that are entrepreneurial and they raise money and they're able to, to do that. And then there's others who will go out and do the work, right? You know, we talk about the worker is worthy of his wages and, and, um, there are those who are, are worthy of that, of that wage. And so we want to make sure that we can kind of marry the two together in order to be able to see some of these, um, see these visions accomplished. And I think Nehemiah specifically, if we're talking scripture, is probably one of the better stories and better examples of fundraising, getting that support from an external source. Um, and specifically, that's a source that you know he didn't have. It wasn't a family member that was supporting him, right? It was someone in power and authority. Let's transition slightly here and get practical. Uh, you have done some fundraising. You mentioned uh, Young Life taught you a lot, and you kind of merged that with some Alliance Northwest coaching you re you've received and now you're more coaching uh vocationally you, you make money from it it's it's a way you can also um share this knowledge with others so can you give us the overview of fundraising what does your process look like and how does coaching come into that share with the audience who some this might be just informational and it might just help them kind of wrap their minds around uh, the collective and what we're doing and that's great or there might be people on here who in the days to come, the months to come, the years to come, might reference this and be like, I need to contact Matthew. I need to reach out to learn how to raise support. This is what I need, and this podcast might be that thing that helps them. So give us an overview of what that process is like. Thanks, Scott. And before uh, before we even get started, uh, for those who would want to uh, reach out to me, they can certainly do that through our website, hopechurchoh.org.org uh, would be a great way to, to, to look me up and uh, send me an email. 
So when it comes to the practical, and I, I mentioned it in a past podcast that I am a, I'm a nerd. I mean, there's just the reality of it. I, I'm a linear thinker. I like to have things organized and structured. I love spreadsheets. Google Sheet is definitely a huge part of my world. And, and I Gross. use those. <laughs> and I, I like to use tools to be able to help. And I recognize and understand that it's a skill set that for a lot of church planners, it may not be innate, may not be something that is, uh, that's built in. And so there's some training and some learning that we have just around just around that that world. But when somebody has decided that they they do want to um, have some support and some help when it comes to fundraising, I can serve as there's lots of people um, that can certainly serve as coaches. But but part of the process is being able to understand why why do they why do they feel like this is a need? Why do they feel that they're called? Um, I want to get to know the individual and understand their story um, because coming alongside of them means that part of what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to listen to them. Uh, I'm going to communicate um, some best practices and strategies, which are always, you know, always good. But for some people, that's just kind of window dressing. Um, I think what will happen more importantly is that I'm going to help hold them accountable, that I'm going to be there to ask questions, um, going to encourage them. But I'm also going to speak truth and love and make sure that they understand that there's something bigger that's out there going on. And I can I can help be able to to keep that consolidated. And then finally, I'm going to look out for their best interest, um, both personally and then also for the ministry. And so once we kind of work through that and have a, have a clear understanding of that, um, I will literally sit down and we'll, we'll talk through what is the reason, what's the overview, what's the reason that, um, that you're called into this. There's a couple of tools that we'll use to, to build a foundation. Uh, some of those tools are, are books that are, are pretty well known, but I'm a big fan of, of Henry Nowen. Uh, he's got a, a pamphlet called The Spirituality of Fundraising that I think is, is really helpful in understanding the biblical basis for why fundraising is a part of what we're called into, if we're called into ministry. Uh, there's, a, there's a gentleman named Steve Shadrach who has written a couple of books. One is called Viewpoints, and the other one is called The God Ask, and I utilize those as tools. And again, it's just about building a foundation, um, and we'll spend three to four weeks just building the foundation. Uh, I'm going to ask the individual to surround themselves by, with three or four people that are going to be uh, their, not necessarily accountability, but they're going to be their per partners. They're going to be the ones that will get a weekly update and say, here are the things that I'm struggling with this week, or here are the things that I'm celebrating. And would you celebrate with me? Would you pray for me in these different areas? And that foundation allows us to be able to have a, just a really good understanding of not just what we're going to be doing, but why. Why has God called me into this? And how is fundraising going to be going to be a piece of, of the puzzle? Like, how, how is this going to all work together? I mentioned that for myself, this was this was something that was new. I mean, I worked 20 years in the corporate world, and now I'm going to family and friends and saying, would you consider partnering with me in starting Hope Church? That took some mental gymnastics to be able to work through because I'd, I'd never seen anything like that. I never experienced anything like that. I never went on mission trip as a, you know, as a high school kid or as a college student and had to, you know, engage with people about raising money. So being able to, to get some sort of an understanding was important. Micah Dodson, who's, uh, who works with us with the Alliance Northwest, he had given me a book um, to read um, by a gentleman named Scott uh, Scott Morton. It's called Funding Your Ministry. Uh, it's an older book, got some really good principles in it and said, you know, use this as your tool and go out and raise funds. What I learned through that is because I didn't have a dedicated coach, uh, I didn't have really anybody except for Micah um, to talk with about this. And so as I moved out of Starbucks and ended up moving into Young Life, they 
gave me a coach because one of the expectations was that I was going to raise funds. So I raised funds on the Hope Church side, but now I've got to go on the Young Life side and I've got to raise funds to pay for that salary. And they gave me a coach. I'd never had that before. So they gave me a coach. They gave me the tools. They gave me some resources. And I had consistency every single week at a certain amount of time. I knew that I was going to be connecting with that coach. Um, And she was amazing. She was fantastic. And so going through that process allowed me to have the confidence to know that, yeah, I'm, I'm doing what God has called me into, but also that I've got some tools because training, I think, is really important. So we uh, we developed some um some things that I felt were very helpful. We have, there's a per strategy that I usually will ask people to, to engage with, you know, who are the three to five people that are praying for you, but also what are you praying for? Um, do you really know what the vision for your ministry is? If you don't know what the vision is for your ministry, I mean, Nehemiah knew what his vision, what the vision was. God had placed on his heart, rebuild the walls. We're bringing the people back. If you don't know what your vision is, it's going to be really hard to invite somebody to partner with you financially. There has to be a compelling vision that goes along with it. So we'll spend time uh, developing what the language looks like around that vision. Uh, we put together um, something that I refer to as a, as a case statement. It's building a case. It's a worksheet um, where you can, you know, in a PowerPoint or in a pamphlet or something along those lines, you actually write out what your vision is, maybe some nice photos that go along with it. Um, and it talks through, here's what the finances, here's what it's going to take financially for us to be able to, to do this. Maybe God is calling you to plant a large church and you've got a budget of $250,000 that you need to raise for. Okay, that's going to mean a different strategy. That's going to mean something different than I'm looking to fundraise $40,000 and it's going to be a house church network, you know, which was our case, right? A little bit different. We do regular coaching calls, as I mentioned, um, 30 minutes every every week. Um, we'll get into the coaching calls. And part of what I'm trying to look to do is to empower the individual to see that they actually have the answers. We've gone through the foundation. They have the answers to the questions that, are, that they're walking through. My job is to be able to draw out what those what those answers are going to look like. So if you're, you know, have maybe you've got that that aunt who is really struggling with why why should I fund you? Um, we'll talk through that. We'll talk about that. And maybe the answer is just going to be no. Okay, that's fine. But let's talk through it and let's see what that could look like and how could we apply to the next situation. Um, the next thing then is is to have a very uh, specific, well, it's a worksheet, really. I mean, I have a worksheet that I use. I call it a fundraising action tool, but it's it's a worksheet that we lay out um, lay out all of the details for dates and names and people and phone numbers and, and all of that, that ultimately ends up becoming kind of the to-do list for the next eight weeks. So the first three to four weeks are generally about building a foundation. The next six to eight weeks or until you raise your goal, uh, are about going through and doing the work. You know, we call it chopping wood, right? You got You got I mean, you just do, you have to go out and do this work. Um, so we'll generate a list of names, um, somewhere between 50 and 200 names generally for each individual. Uh, we will, uh, understand who, who are these people in the life of the individual that's going out to race? Does, do I know this person? Does this person love me? Do they love my ministry? Do they love the fact that I'm actually doing something? Are they a Christian? A lot, all of that is information that is helpful for us being able to understand who am I going to approach and how am I going to approach them? Once I, once we go through that and we sort our list, uh, based on, you know, if there's five factors that, that we would use that we would kind of sort through, 
I'd want to have the folks that are most open to a conversation at the top of that list for obvious reasons. Um, so those those people are going to be at the top, and we start making phone calls. And uh, and when I say we, I mean you um, start making phone calls. Uh, and it's and we we go through role playing and we talk about what is what does this look like, so that as you're engaging with people, uh, you're not on your own. You've got a coach who's behind you who has already talked with you, talked you through some of these conversations. And uh, any other confidence to be able to speak to, again, what your vision is. I can't tell you how many times that I've sat down with somebody and they're like, oh, I don't really have a vision. We'll stop everything and make sure that the vision has been laid out first. Because, again, nobody's going to financially support. I mean, unless they I mean, it's mom and dad. That's that's probably about it. Um, so being able to understand what that looks like, it is important. And then at the end of it, after we, you know, and we'll follow up on this spreadsheet and we'll make sure that all the numbers are, are plugged in. And again, I'm a nerd, so I just I love to be able to do this, but um, we'll we'll have the structure around it. And at the end of the day, um, once people start to invest in your ministry and they start to support you financially, we'll make sure that you have a vehicle and a way to be able to thank them well. Often, and there's lots of books that will c cite these statistics. Often, when people go out to raise money, they send out a bunch of letters. You know, say you send out 100 letters to people that you're hoping will, you know, will fund your ministry. Uh, the return on that is about 15 to 18%. Okay, so that is not efficient. If I can sit down with you and have a conversation with you about what's going on and be able to share with you a compelling vision about what God is asking me and my family to do, the return is about 50%. That's a huge difference, and it saves a ton of time and, and gets us, but you've got to get to the place where you're sitting down with that individual. Um, if at the end of the year, at the end of 12 months, they've never heard from you, they're not going to support you again. You're going to lose half of the people on your team if you never engage with them again. So part of the, in, the vision that we have for this is to be able to show you how to thank people well. That means that you send thank you notes. That means that you're going to have a newsletter that's going to look really good that you're going to send out three to four times a year. Uh, you're going to follow up on the phone at least once a quarter uh, just to update them on where, on where things are at in the ministry. You're going to thank them well so that at the end of the year, they've maybe heard from you six, seven, eight times and never once have you asked them for money because you've already done that. Uh, at the end of the year, we'll go through, um, and generally within within the Alliance Northwest, we have some amazing um, bookkeepers who, t who who keep us out of jail, like we like to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Deal with all the tax stuff and everything. Um, they'll send out a year-end giving you know, statement, and I have just um, invited any of the people that I've worked with, and I do this myself, um, to do a thank you card or some sort of a special newsletter for those people who are supporting you that goes in with that, just to make sure that it's you know, you've got kind of one way, but it also helps them to be able to see, here's what we're looking to do for this next year. And if you would like to partner with us again, we would appreciate uh, being able to do that. And our retention is more on the 85 to 90% level instead of just 50%, uh, because you're demonstrating to people that you care about them, that you love them, and that it is truly all about relationship. That is, that is huge. And I think that last part is a part that a lot of times we miss. And um, we would really love to kind of hone in on that because the reality is that it takes money to do the stuff that we're doing, right? And it really is a legitimate way to help fund. And even if it's just for a season, right? Like for some people, it might be a season. I long for the day where, you know, I'm 
giving more money to the ministry than taking money to the ministry. And Amen. I've had conversations with other entrepreneur type Christian business people, you know, it's like, Hey man, how there's enough money out there. Our, you know, our father is the owner of the cattle on a thousand Hills and he's got all the money that we could think of. So money is not an issue. It's just coming up with that money. Right. And having those conversations um, for many of us. And now I'm not saying that that same is, true for the rest of the world, because I know that the rest of the world wrestles with different kind of issues. But here in the States, we've been gifted with the ability, many of us, to have some conversations. And some of us have more access. I think you were talking about this at the beginning of, of this um, podcast, is some more access to more people with resources and and our families of origin. You know, it's a little bit easier. But given the right tools, everyone can get better at fundraising and start having conversations better. Um, than they would have without the coaching. I'm a product of uh, the work that you've done and, and the, the coaching and stuff that you have shared. I think Scott also is too. I, you know, when Scott started fundraising, what, six months ago or so, a little bit less, I was like, dude, you, you need to link up with Matthew and whatever Matthew tells you to do, do it because it works, you know? And so for many people, I remember fundraising when I was in Philly. And that was my first time. I'll tell, and I'll tell you a story. I'll tell, I'll tell everybody a story. I was a social worker at the time. I was working street homeless uh, with street homelessness, and I was with um, an organization called Project Home. And just this, I'm going to tell you this story just so that it could boost your confidence, um, because I had never done fundraising outside of writing those letters because I was going on a missions trip. Like, hey, writing a bunch of letters. I need, and even that, like the Lord provided. This is. No BS, right? Like to the $1 bill that I needed. One summer I was going on three different missions trips and I needed to raise money for each of those. I went to Peru with Adventures in Missions. I went to um, Ecuador with Nyack College and I went to uh, Guatemala uh, with my home church back on Long Island. And each one of those, they asked us to raise money for because they were not connected. They were all different organizations. I felt like the Lord was giving us, giving me the green light to go to all three. I was leading like two of the trips. and The other trip, I was just tagging along. Just crazy. But they each had deadlines. And I would effectively fundraised for the first two. And I wasn't going to write three letters, right? So I wrote one letter and I put a, a, you know, a bottom line number that I needed for all three. Got, got those out. Somehow the Lord opened different ways. And, and our, for our deadline, um, for that, you know, for, for that last trip that was going to be the third trip, I got all of the money to the $1 bill. And that was so faith building for me. So I remember that. So when it was time to raise money in Philly, I moved to Philly in 2008 after college in the summer of 2008 to help plant a church. Um, um, that had effectively died, and they put it in what was called redevelopment. So we shut the church down for a year, and I moved there to plant straight out of college, <laughs> bright-eyed and bushy-tailed to to a new city. Thought I knew more than I actually did, you know. Um, and but I knew from the beginning I needed a job because the church all our, our main resource was three buildings that we had. But it took a lot of money to keep those three buildings up. But there was no, you know, and we had a team of five people. That's, and, and five people were not going to essentially feed, feed each other. We weren't going to generate the resources to do that. So I got a job. 
my first connection into the social work world. Ended up working in Trenton, New Jersey. That job ended after a year. It was a contract-based deal. Ended up getting a job in Philly proper at a place called Project Home. I just mentioned that. And I worked there for about two years, and I was doing uh, ministry at, as a church planter and a full-time social worker. So it was like 60 hours a week, easy, every single week. And mi- much of our ministry is hospitality-based, always hosting things, still preaching. Um, and the church got, when the church got to 100, at those di- in those days, we were looking at those metrics. You needed one full-time person on staff for every 100 per- people at the church. So the guy that was leading the project, he was like, man, it's getting hard for me to keep... Um, uh, you know, in, in touch with all of these people and effectively pastor all of these people, Luis, would you consider going part-time over there and going full-time over here? But here's the kicker, you got to raise the money. And I felt the Spirit say, hey, I moved you to Philly in this season to plant this church. And so I ended up saying to my worker, to, to, to my job in at Project Home, I was like, you guys, I got to go do this other thing. Is it all right if I stay um, here and, and go to part-time and then go to full-time over there? You guys know I moved here for that. I was really open, kind of like uh, what you had said in another conversation about, like, with Starbucks. Like, hey, you know, um, uh, you know, I was just pretty open. And they said, sure, no problem. I just got to talk to my boss. When my boss spoke to her boss, her boss told her no. And they said, Luis, you got to choose whether you're going to be at Project Home full-time or not at all. Oh, snap. Mind you, I just had gotten married like two years before. We were expecting our first kid. It was a decision to make. And I was like, well, we're just going to take this faith step. Long story short, I left Project Home. I ended up at um, uh, fundraising for for the position that I was working with at the time at, at, at the church. And I was putting in the work. I was so scared. I, and I know that I wasn't confident as I was reaching out to the, because I had read that um, Henry Nouwen book originally. And it's like, you know, it's like, it's our job to ask is God's job to provide. Essentially, it's the thesis of that book. But I, but I wasn't, I didn't have all of the tools. Right, that I got later on when I when when I hung out with you and I and I got the, the that coaching. And one day I felt like the Lord said, "Luis, go read Psalm 37." Right here, right. First of all, straight out of Bible college, you don't really feel like reading the Bible. I'm gonna be honest with you because the Bible is a textbook, right? And you've been in that textbook, and you're like, "Man, I just need a break." Honestly, I mean, if anybody's been to Bible college, like that's real. Eric Mason out of Philadelphia said it takes 10 years to thaw from seminary. Never went to seminary. Full disclosure, I went to Bible college and it took me about five, you know, and that was honest, real, real, real talk. So we're in it. It's probably third or fourth year out into the ministry, um, planting this church. And I'm like, I don't want to read this Psalm 37. But I felt like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. I felt like the Lord's like, I start reading it kind of like just dragging my feet. I don't know. And since Psalm 37 has become like a, a, a heart passage, a life passage for me, when I get to this part, I just found out that we were about to have our first child. We're in the throes of fundraising. No money's coming in. Zero money's coming in. 
And I'm like almost a little bit depressed. Like, Jesus, like, yo, did you bring me out here to fail almost? Like, it's Christmas time, bro. Like, and so you're thinking about like, you know, things. Oh, you're far from family. I'm far from family. Um, and I get to this part. <laughs> I am getting emotional thinking about it even now. It's like where the Lord goes, you know, the writer of that psalm says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. In that moment, I had this moment where the Lord was like, where I felt like the Lord was like, you see, I got you. Not only do I have you, but I have your seed. I've been thinking about your son all along. I will not forsake you. And you're not righteous because of what you do. You're righteous because of who you are in Jesus. And Jesus is the one that's made you righteous. And so in that moment, I had like all of these like thoughts, like, you know, theological thoughts, heart thoughts, like, and I just started crying. I just said, Lord, I'm so sorry, because I've thought that I've got to be my provider. I thought that I have to make it happen, that I have to hustle to do this. And from that mo moment on, um, you know, I repented. I said, the Lord, I'm, you know, I'm just going to do this a little bit different now. My approach to fundraising was different. And I think that there was like this God confidence that came from the place of like, it's just my job to ask. It's God's job to provide. And, and from that point forward, it, within the next six weeks, one third of my entire um, uh, uh, salary was raised. And I had already made a bunch of conversations. But, but, you know, one thing that I learned is like, it's the first thing on my mind. It's not the first thing on that pastor's mind or that family member's mind. It's like, but I'm always thinking about it because I'm the one that's going to have to figure out how to feed my family off of this support that I'm trying to raise. And so, but it, it did come in and I got this confidence from the Lord that I didn't have before. Um, but that's a big, that's, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't fabricate that, right? Get le Learning that lesson that it's God's job to provide. It, it, it's only my job to ask. Yeah, that's right. So good. I, I think that often we 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 try to do more around programs and structure. Um, I find value, obviously, you know, in, in you two I've worked with in this. Uh, but at the end of the day, it, it is about it's about asking and having the faith. This is a it's a faith exercise. There's no question um, that as you lean into um, this process of fundraising and you have conversations with people, uh, it will build your faith. It will build your faith because you'll see God do things that you just did not think was, was possible. And you'll look back on it and go, man, shame on me. Like, how, how did I not see that? But man, how good is that? I appreciate you sharing that story. Yeah. And, and I mean, just to say this, you know, the second time that I had to do this, you know, and, and I would, and I just spent like a few weeks, just like, this is the main thing that I'm doing and I'm going to block out a bunch of time and, you know, hanging out with you and kind of getting coaching from you but we got fully funded like let's bring that back around and be like yo we 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 did it by god's grace he put the right people in our in our lives and when we asked he provided yeah yeah i love that story man thanks for sharing that with us and our listeners as we are about to wrap up this episode i'm going to land the plane uh, we're going to close with matthew uh if you had a story that would be encouraging for us or just a, a real-life example of this fundraising process. We'd love to hear it. And then following that, how could someone be connected to you? What would someone want and do if they're like, you know, I want to pursue this fundraising journey, and I want to hit up Matthew. I want to see if he can coach me. Um, how would they best connect with you? Yeah, I'll start with that there, just because that might be the, the thing that's most kind of resonates. I, um, 
our, our website, hopechurchoh.org, O-R-G, would be a great way to, and you can just grab my email and phone number off of that is just fine uh, to be able to reach out to. But a couple of stories, you know, I, when I think of the the thanking piece of it and um, thanking people well, I uh, go back to the first time that we did fundraising with with Hope Church, and I didn't have the structure that I have today, uh, but I had reached out to an aunt, an aunt and an uncle that... Um, who, you know, I, they were on my list. You know, I knew they loved me. They loved ministry. They love um, people and they, they love supporting others. No clue as to what that, what that may look like, but uh, I had reached out to them. And when I did, she, she said, you know, Matthew, we've been waiting for you to reach out to us and to call us about this because we've, we have seen that God is preparing you. And, uh, and they had money that was set aside uh, to be able to help us get started. Uh, and then continued to be able to help fund on a, a quarterly basis uh, for basically six, seven years. Um, our top donor, and from two people on a fixed income, my uncle then passed away, um, and we kept them updated on what what things were going. I got the opportunity to actually do his service, and uh, and I think a lot of that was because of the work you know that we'd done around just caring for people well and thinking people well. I've I've really enjoyed even in the process as you have donors who are connecting with you. Uh, getting to know their story, how you can pray for them, not just how they can pray for you, and because there is this give and take that goes along with it. When it comes to a fundraising story, I had a, had a gentleman in uh, in West Virginia that I got had the opportunity to be able to coach, uh, going into an area that he had never worked in before. And this is a guy who was called to ministry a little bit later, kind of like me, a little bit later in life. He was uh, in his late 30s. And uh, remember him telling me, he's like, Matthew, I, I don't even know where to start you know, with this. And honestly, I told him that, you know, I think there's a lot of folks that are in your position, just not really knowing where to start, uh, but laying a foundation, being able to understand, you know, why God is called and to have a compelling vision. Um, his vision was to be able to work with kids and families with special needs children. Uh, that was a very clear vision that he was looking at in a very specific area in West Virginia that he was called to serve at. And, uh, and all I did then was to help with the structure and the once a week um, accountability, because as he started to make the phone calls, calling people that he wasn't even sure would say yes, or even maybe even pick up the phone, uh, he was able to be able to see people say yes, that he wasn't expecting and because there was a compelling vision, he was able to raise his funding um, over the course of four to five weeks rather than the 12 weeks that we usually set aside. Um, it was so fun just to be able to see that check in with him. Again, he's across the country. I got the chance to actually meet him in person about a year ago, which was a lot of fun and be able to just kind of get that update. But uh, what a cool opportunity to be able to see that, you know, just walking through it, uh, because the one thing that will happen for anybody, I don't know anybody yet at this point that I've coached that has not experienced this, is that there will be a valley. There's going to be that time when you, you're making phone calls and people either aren't answering or they're telling you no. And are you willing to continue to move forward, lean into the calling that God has for you? If you're willing to do that, you'll keep making the phone calls. You'll keep meeting with people, even when it feels like, and oh, I don't know. And he was able to do that and, and ultimately was able to be funded. Um, the dollar amounts never really seem to matter. I've had people that say, I got a $50,000 goal. I've got a $10,000 goal. There's all sorts of different, um, different goals that almost has been irrelevant. It's more about what's the vision, how is God calling you and how he's going to route his funds um, through the people that are already in your life.
And Matthew, thank you so much for sharing with uh, us, me and Luis, and sharing with our audience uh, about fundraising and the importance of it. If you have any questions in the podcast description below, we're going to link the website. Feel free to click on that if you would like to reach out to Matthew for further coaching or questions on fundraising. Thank you so much for joining us. We have loved having you on Keeping It Simple, and we look forward to having you on again. Appreciate it. Appreciate being here, guys. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Keeping It Simple, where we talk about life and mission in ways that are easy to understand. Stay tuned as we release episodes each Wednesday. We'd appreciate it if you would like, review, share, and subscribe our podcast. Thank you for listening. 